0: We do not have the luxury of going back in time and making different or better decisions.
1: No kidding. That would be nice.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight? I got the
1: feeling that something is right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared kiss case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left of me to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep yes, I'm stuck in from the Pacifica with Radio you. in Los Angeles this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 7 FM, so FM in LA up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, in a rare and I might say unprecedented moment of public self-reflection on Monday night... During a nationally televised 26-minute primetime address before U.S. troops at Fort Myer in Arlington, Virginia, Donald Trump acknowledged that he may have been wrong for many years in his advocacy regarding America's strategy for the now 16-year-old war in Afghanistan. My original instinct was to pull out, and historically, I
0: like following my instincts but all my life i've heard that decisions are much different when you sit behind the desk in the oval office in other words when you're president of the united states
1: yeah we know where the oval office is Uh, Trump's subsequent statement about a supposedly new plan for victory in the war-torn Middle Eastern nation where the U.S. has been fighting the same war since we launched our invasion following 9-11 was a stark contrast to his years calling for an immediate pullout of all U.S. troops there. In January 2013, for example, he tweeted, we should have a speedy withdrawal. Why should we keep wasting our money? Rebuild the U.S.? In late 2013, he tweeted, Do not allow our very stupid leaders to sign a deal that keeps us in, in Afghanistan through 2024. Make America great. Later that day, he tweeted, We have wasted an enormous amount of blood and treasure in Afghanistan. Let's get out. A year later, in December of 2014, just months before he would declare his candidacy for President of the United States, he tweeted, Now, Obama is keeping our soldiers in Afghanistan for at least another year. He is losing two wars simultaneously. Apparently, referring to Obama's previous withdrawal of most U.S. troops from our other long war in Iraq, where the Islamic State or ISIS had by then begun to win a foothold. On Monday night in Virginia, however, Trump said about Afghanistan, Our nation must seek an honorable and enduring outcome worthy of the tremendous sacrifices that have been made. Warning that the consequences of a rapid exit would be both predictable and unacceptable. A hasty withdrawal, he said in words that sounded vaguely familiar to at least one previous president, would create a vacuum that terrorists, including ISIS and Al Qaeda, would instantly fill just as happened before September 11. According to the New York Times on Monday, in an article about Afghan insurgents already gaining a foothold in that nation, few people think that the war in Afghanistan can be ended anytime soon. General John Nicholson, commander of the American-led international force in Afghanistan, told Congress in February of this year that the U.S. and its NATO allies were facing a, quote, stalemate. According to a report to Congress by the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, just 57 percent of the districts in the county were under the Afghan uh, were under the Afghan government's control. As of November 2016, a 15 percent decrease from the previous year. An estimated 8,400 troops are currently stationed in Afghanistan, most assigned to an approximately 13,000 strong international force that is training and advising the Afghan military. About 2,000 American troops are tasked with carrying out counterterrorism missions along with Afghan forces against militant groups like the Islamic State's affiliate there. In his primetime address to the nation broadcast by all of the major television networks on Monday night, President Trump detailed what he described as his new strategy for the now 16-year-old Afghanistan war. It appears to be both a reversal from his years-long position that we shouldn't be in Afghanistan at all and a continuation in general of the policies of his two predecessors, despite his claims during the speech that this would be a new strategy moving forward. While he said part of that new strategy would be to not discuss timetables or troop levels, it's believed that the U.S. military will soon deploy some 4,000 more U.S. troops to Afghanistan, resulting in about 12 or 13,000 U.S. troops in this new strategy. Until he brought most of them home before leaving office, President Obama had at one point increased troop levels to some 100,000 in Afghanistan for a number of years. And yet, here we still are. We have spent over $1 trillion in Afghanistan and nearly $5 trillion on Middle East wars in the past 15 years. Republican Senator Rand Paul, who opposes Trump's new strategy, noted in an op-ed on Monday calling for Trump to just bring the troops home. And it should also be noted that some 3,500 U.S. troops have been killed in this still ongoing 16-and-a-half-year-old war, the longest war ever for the U.S., to what end did those troops die exactly? That still remains unclear to me as well. On Monday night, in his teleprompter speech to troops at Fort Myer in Virginia, Trump declared American strategy in Afghanistan and South Asia will change dramatically. Well, how will it change? That's also unclear to me. Then again, I'm not an expert on the issue or the region. Someone who is such an expert, however, can perhaps explain to me what I am missing here after watching that speech about what uh, what was once Bush's war before it became Obama's war before it has now become Trump's war in Afghanistan. Joining us now is Professor Juan Cole. He's a blogger and essayist on the Middle East and South Asia and the Richard P. Mitchell Collegiate Professor of History at the University of Michigan. Juan Cole was the editor of the International Journal of Middle East Studies from 1999 to 2004. He served at the American Institute of Iranian Studies. He's also a member of the Middle East uh, Studies Association of North America, where he was uh, the organization's president a few years ago, and he publishes the indispensable informed comment blog at JuanCole.com. He's been doing that since 2002, not long before I started following his work on these and related issues. Professor Cole, I think it's been about 10 years or something since we've had you on the show. My failure, but welcome back to the broadcast, sir. It's always good to be on with you, Brett. Great to have you. All right. As I noted, uh, I'm anything but an expert in this uh, in this war or this region, but I couldn't help watching Trump's speech on Monday night uh, described beforehand as the unveiling of a grand new strategy for the 16 year old war thinking what the hell is new about any of what he is saying. Uh, which also seemed uh, remarkably vague to me, what he was saying as well. Uh, So first, big picture here, uh, Juan, what am I missing? What is new about Trump's new strategy for Afghanistan?
0: Well, Trump's announced strategy is the Biden plan for Afghanistan as opposed to the Obama plan. What does Uh, that mean? I'm sorry?
1: Uh, What does that mean?
0: When Obama was elected, uh, he also had a study done <laughs> of what should be done about Afghanistan, uh, and the, he asked the Pentagon for three plans: uh, a minimal one, a medium one, you know, it was Goldilocks, and a, and a big one. Mm-hmm. And they hemmed and hawed for about nine months and put him on uh, under a lot of pressure because Congress was demanding to know what his policy was. And by the end of his first year, uh, all he had was, from the Pentagon was the big plan, which is obviously the one the Pentagon wanted, Petraeus and others.
1: The 100,000 troops. The
0: 100,000 troops. Yeah. Uh, and um, But uh, associated with the 100,000 troops was Petraeus' big think about what he called counterinsurgency. Uh, counterinsurgency uh, is addressing a guerrilla war uh, through political as well as military means. So they had this mantra of uh, you clear the Taliban out, uh, and then you come in and establish security, and you build up local institutions uh, so that they stay out. Uh, So clear, hold, and build uh, was the mantra and uh... and then ultimately bring in you know the central government mm-hmm. uh, uh, to to keep things going so uh, you know th- all of this counterinsurgency thinking comes out of uh, the colonial period in the twentieth century and the british did this when they were uh... the colonial uh, masters of, Mal- uh, of what was then called malaya malaysia mm-hmm. uh... against the communists um, and uh and and counterinsurgency is kind of the great white whale of the of the of the army uh because uh it actually only ever worked in malaya <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and but we keep hearing about it you know in vietnam and 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 ever since it's all count- in iraq and and afghanistan' counterinsurgency was going to work and it does it's it, you know the, actually the British had been in Malaya for hundred years they knew the local languages and the insurgency was only in among the chinese community there so you could isolate them uh and there were peculiar reasons for which maybe they had some success there but john Mearsheimer once pointed out the british aren't in malaysia anymore either so um that was the big thing uh and 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 biden was against it joe biden the, the then vice president. Mm-hmm. Wanted what was called, instead of counterinsurgency, uh, counterterrorism, uh, which is much more narrow. You're not trying to clear out the Taliban from a place and substitute uh, an Afghan government presence. Uh, 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 General McChrystal at one point said we had a government in a box we could bring down from Kabul and everybody was mystified as what in the world did he think he was talking about, because governmental capacity in Kabul is very limited. Right. But in any case, uh, Biden thought, well, you know, if, 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 if somebody attacks something, go kill them. Right. Uh, you focus on the terrorists and, and their actions rather than on trying to rebuild the whole society the way Petraeus wanted to do. Uh, but Obama went with the counterinsurgency plan, and and if you read the newspapers, you know, in 2011 and 2012, was all about uh, these campaigns in these rural areas of uh, Helmand province, and uh, Kandahar was going to be done, and so forth. Needless to say, it all crashed and burned. Uh, there, there, there was no serious success of, of Petraeus's counterinsurgency uh, campaign uh and uh and uh, on the other hand the situation in afghanistan is not like vietnam there's no real danger that the taliban are going to take over the government uh and kick us out mm-hmm. uh, they don't have heavy weaponry they don't have an air force they don't have uh... really allies very much of uh, the, the, the indians don't want them there the the russians don't want them there You know, maybe behind the scenes uh, there are some Pakistani generals who kind of support them. But, you know, uh, as long as there's somebody in the country who can go kill them if they look like they're going to take over something big, then they're stymied. Uh, They can have political influence, uh, but they're, they're just not going to be able to take over. However, if the U.S. got out, I don't imagine that the government in Kabul would last more than a year.
1: Well, and and I want to get to some of those details as far as why we're even still there and how, if ever, we get out. But I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to understand what it is that that Donald Trump is calling for that has not been tried before. Uh, never mind previous uh, in countries that have tried to uh, control Afghanistan, but just the the last two presidents, U.S. presidents, trying to uh, come up with some strategy there. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing that he. He seemed to claim, all right, instead of nation-building, we're going to kill terrorists. I think that's what you were uh, describing, Juan. But uh, yep. beyond that, I, the big change seemed to be that, well, we would not— uh, or the schedule would be based on conditions rather than timetables. Well, that sounds a lot like George W. Bush's we'll stand down when the Afghanis stand up, no?
0: Sure. Well, the the hope is, you know, basically the United States has— has become a colonial nation uh, in the 21st century, and uh, the the hope of all colonial nations uh, who who don't want to stay forever, some do, uh, is is that ultimately there would be somebody in the country that you could hand the thing over to, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't collapse on you or come back to bite you. So you know that's what the British did in Kenya, uh, and it worked out all right in Kenya. Mm-hmm. But then there's failed decolonization, uh, and you keep getting drawn back into it because the local place that you had been ruling as a colonizer just doesn't have the resources or the capacity to stand up a a new government. Whatever resources and capacity Afghanistan had to be an independent country were destroyed uh, from 1978 forward once the communists took over and then Reagan you know, conducted what I call the Reagan Jihad. He, he got the Muslim fundamentalists all together, including what became al-Qaeda, to kill the communists. Uh, since that time, since 1978 forward, the, the, the Afghanistan has been roiled and in turmoil. Uh, I figure a couple million people have been killed. Uh, you figure three wounded for every killed, so that would be six million wounded. Mm. A lot of people don't have uh, one of their feet because of landmines. The country has no real resources. Uh, It's very poorly educated, uh, highly rural, uh, very low incomes. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. So this is just not a place that, especially given what was done to it in the last 30 years, uh, that is very likely to stand up a government the way that Jomo Kenyatta did in Kenya so that the British could leave. So this is one of the reasons the U.S. is stuck there,
1: and yet uh, Trump seems to say uh, that we were going to stay there. We weren't going to put any timetables on it. He's not going to say how many troops we are or aren't going to send. Uh, which, to me at least, raises the question: uh, Shouldn't the American people be informed about how many U.S. troops are participating in our in our various foreign wars, endless or otherwise?
0: Well, the Pentagon will release the, the numbers of troops that are in Afghanistan. Uh, Trump just didn't want to make it the, the headline. Okay. Uh, that He's sending 4,000 more troops. Uh, but that's, that was a rhetorical issue uh, or a political issue rather than one of knowledge. The, you know, Brad, the thing that puzzles me, uh, I can't entirely understand it, is that no one in the United States cares about Afghanistan. Mm. As far as I can tell, no one cares we're there or we're not there. If troops are killed over there, it hurts me in my gut. I'm an Army brat, mm-hmm. but they put it on page 17 of the Washington Post, and it never comes on cable news. You know, you can you can keyword search uh, at LexisNexis broadcasts uh, from from broadcast news, mm-hmm. and if you put in Afghanistan, you would get almost no hit. Yeah. Uh, so it's, a, it's an invisible war. It's not an issue. And let's look at it from a political point of view. One of the reasons Bush, Obama, and, and Trump have done what they have done there is that as long as you keep the Taliban oh, uh, from taking the capital, as long as you've got a, a fairly functioning government in much of the country, And you have to go SWAT the Taliban time to time. And nobody's watching that. Nobody cares about it one way or another. Nobody cares, uh, apparently, too much about the uh, 3,500 or so troops that have been killed there. Uh, On the other hand, if the Taliban swept into Kabul, took over the country, and announced a caliphate, uh, and declared war on the West, and brought al-Qaeda and ISIS there, that would be the end of the Trump presidency for sure. I mean, there are many reasons for which it might end, but mm-hmm. you know that that would no pres no sitting president would like to see that scenario unfold.
1: Well, is is there so, a threat? So then of that? you would
0: just stop it from unfolding.
1: Well, I was going to say, is there even a threat of that happening? I mean, you say that nobody cares, and uh, you know, I'd like to think that obviously some people care about the 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 troops, the U.S. troops who have died there. But uh, I mean, should we care? About what goes on in Afghanistan is the Taliban, you know, we keep hearing that the Taliban is this is this great threat. Uh, as I recall, the uh, the Taliban was actually trying to surrender back in the early days of the Iraq war. Uh, I don't know that the Taliban you mean of the
0: Afghanistan.
1: I, I'm sorry, the Afghanistan war. Yeah. And and I don't know that they I mean, they they may pose a threat to modernity in their own country. But do they ever have they ever posed a threat to the to the U.S. in, in reality?
0: Well, n- not the Taliban themselves, although, look, it's, it's complicated because people don't generally re- remember this or maybe didn't ever know it, but the Al-Qaeda was the 55th Brigade of the Taliban. Mm-hmm. It was a unit of the Taliban. Okay. In fact, it was their best fighting unit, and they deployed it in the north, uh, east against the uh, uh, Northern Alliance. Uh, And um, they were not ever going to surrender al-Qaeda. Bush demanded that they turn bin Laden over. Uh, That wasn't going to happen because al-Qaeda was part of them. Mm-hmm. They were intermarried with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it provided them funding, and moreover, some of their conquests wouldn't have been possible without those Arab fighters.
1: So, is it fair to say so, they remained a threat thereafter for all of those years, even though there were uh, that the, they were a separate organization from Al Qaeda, but obviously they, as you say, they were working together. But did they remain a threat after those initial years? After yeah. we got rid of uh, most of Al Qaeda, as I understand it, in any event, in uh, in Afghanistan.
0: Uh, well, the the problem is that uh, the the general extremist movement in the Muslim world is under a lot of pressure. If you're an extremist in Egypt, uh, al-Sisi is gunning for you, uh, Interpol is after you in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you, what you need in order to carry out your plans, because you don't want to be a, a persecuted minority, you want to take over things, is a place with weak governance where you can hide out. Uh, and so that was the point of, of Syria. Once it fell into civil war, eastern Syria had no government, and so ISIS could establish itself there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, northern Iraq, where the, was largely a Sunni-Arab community didn't like the Baghdad Shiite-dominated government, was another place where they could make a play for power. So the... the, the the danger would be if the Taliban took over Afghanistan, they're friendly with the other extremists, and they would need their resources and their fighters. And so just like what happened in 1996, you know, al-Qaeda had largely left Afghanistan after they de- they thought they defeated the Soviets, uh, after the Soviets withdrew. They all came back, or a lot of them came back. Mm-hmm. Bin Laden had a kind of Rolodex of people he called up from Algeria and, and elsewhere and said, hey, the party's on again, guys. So the, the danger would be that they'd come back and under, under the Taliban would welcome them, and then they'd get up to no good. They'd be plotting out plots
1: on airliners and things. Well, I, w- I want to b- b- talk about that in a second, how, how this finally ends. But there was a couple of details that I'll tell you, I was watching the speech last night, Juan Cole, and uh, thinking with every other line, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I can't wait to ask Juan about this. So a couple of points uh, in that regard. Um, he Trump called for a change of approach to how we deal with Pakistan, saying that we've spent billions there, yet they have harbored the very terrorists we are fighting. Uh, you seem to be putting Pakistan on notice. Uh, so, I guess my question for you, what does that mean, and is, is that a good idea?
0: So, Afghanistan is uh, ethnically diverse. Mm-hmm. In the southeast uh, and southwest of the country, it's dominated by the Pushtun ethnic group. Mm-hmm. They are Sunni Muslims, and they have their own language. Uh, And uh, then in the center of the country, you have Shiite Afghans, about 22% of the population, who have some kinship with Iran and speak Persian. And then you have Sunni Persian speakers, and then you have Uzbeks who are similar to the people in Uzbekistan, Sunni Muslims, but up there in the north, maybe a little bit more secular-minded and uh, more uh, industrial and, and educated so the afghanistan is a an arena of contest between various regional forces iran has a hand there pakistan has a hand there india has a hand there russia still has a hand there and they play politics with these ethnic groups so pakistan has its own pashtun population and uh the gener- the officer corps in pakistan although they, those guys drink whiskey and they're fairly secular-minded people, a lot of them, they think that fundamentalist Islam is their friend, mm. because it mobilizes common people on their side. Mm. And uh, so fundamentalist Islam is also typically anti-Indian. So the Pakistani generals are accused of cultivating fundamentalism among the pushtuns in in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even of using these groups for their purposes, uh, which is a slippery slope, because some of those groups do also attack Pakistan itself. Uh, And the officer corps in the United States, which has a lot of experience in Afghanistan now, is convinced that some of the extremist groups operating as terrorists in Afghanistan, even who hit the U.S. Embassy at one point, then make a phone call back to uh, army headquarters in Islamabad in Pakistan, uh, telling their uh, contacts there that we you know we, we carried out the mission so that that, that that Pakistan is a kind of frenemy of the United States. It has mm-hmm. some common interests, uh, there's some cooperation, there's overflight rights, uh, there's even some basing, uh, the CIA's all over it, and so forth. But behind the scenes, and for some purposes, the the officer corps or elements of the officer corps seem to be in cahoots with some of the extremists among the Pashtuns and they're doing this in order to weaken Indian influence because they're afraid that the Tajiks and and the the uh, uh the other ethnic groups in Afghanistan will line up behind Delhi. Pakistan wants to dominate Afghanistan. So what Trump was saying is we know you've been up to this. We know you're a frenemy. The 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 enemy side of frenemy is no longer going to be allowed if you if you if you mobilize one of these extremist groups into Afghanistan and they come back and and try to take safe refuge in Pakistan we're coming after them there. So, Actually Obama said this as well. It's well, not completely
1: new. Well, and and he also um uh, Trump did uh called out India during that speech as well. And I'm and I'm bringing this up because, you know, your piece for example, Trump flip-flops on Afghanistan ops for years long quagmire. It sounds like it's not just a quagmire in Afghanistan that we're looking at, but we're also now extending this to Pakistan potentially. and um, he seemed uh, Trump seemed to talk about India, which is Pakistan's you know, sort of mortal enemy and neighbor. Uh, us uh, USC foreign policy expert Josh Lockman tweeted out, Pakistani generals who have historically prepared for conflict with India just heard a speech from Trump that reinforces their greatest fears. So, what did Trump's call for India to play a greater role in Afghanistan? What what does that mean? And before we and then I got to get to a quick break here, but I just want to get your thoughts on that very quickly because it seems like we're taking a complicated situation and making it even more complicated under the what we'll call the the new Trump strategy.
0: Well, the United States has been encouraging India to play an economic role in investing in the country, which is what Trump said. All along. It's a lot of the things that Trump said are not new. They've been uh, ongoing U.S. policy in Afghanistan, but they're not the kinds of things that you say out loud. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to call in the Pakistani ambassador and say, see here, your generals are out of control. They were backing this extremist group that hit our embassy. Mm-hmm. And, and then coming out in public and saying, we're coming after you. Uh, and then there's a difference between behind the scenes saying to India, look, you know, you've. You're coming up in the world. You've got a two trillion dollar uh, GDP. Why don't you put some investment into Afghanistan? Uh, Develop some soft power there, which is what they've been saying to India and saying it publicly. Because if you say it publicly, what it, it looks like to Islamabad, it, it looks like to Pakistan, is that you are giving Afghanistan away to India, and Pakistan thinks Afghanistan is its sphere of influence. It doesn't want India as a competitor there, uh, even though India doesn't have a you know military mm-hmm. uh, component to its investments in Afghanistan it's, its soft power its economic power Pakistan doesn't want that either and so one of the problems with Trump's speech is that he he let all the skeletons out of the closet uh, and and made things very open and 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 in diplomacy you don't want to do that there there are many issues that you have to have a war over if you if you state them openly (laughs) you don't have to have the war if you just don't talk about it and uh so trump uh talked about it
1: and i i fear that's going to make things worse not better let me take a uh quick break Juan cole uh professor of history at the university of michigan expert in uh on the middle east and south asia regarding uh, Trump's new strategy on uh, what uh, Juan calls the invisible war in Afghanistan. And, oh yeah, how the hell do we ever get out? Quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs>
2: And thanks. Absolutely nothing.
1: Absolutely nothing. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. Coming up shortly, Desi Doyen and the latest Green News report. But for now, I'm speaking with Juan Cole, the great Juan Cole blogger and essayist from Informed Comment at JuanCole.com. He's also a professor of history at the University of Michigan and an expert in Middle East and South Asia, all of which are on the table following... Trump's uh, Monday uh, Monday night speech in, uh, in Virginia, his primetime speech broadcast by all the networks with his uh, supposed new strategy on Afghanistan, which sounded a whole hell of a lot like the old uh, strategies on Afghanistan from both uh, Presidents Obama and George W. Bush before him. Uh, Juan, uh, just a few minutes here, but I want to understand... Uh, What are we actually fighting for in Afghanistan? This has always been unclear to me since the beginning, and uh, since the beginning, over the years since, whenever I've spoken to folks who have spent time, uh, tours of duty there, it seems that they don't really know either. I know you mentioned in the previous segment that the Taliban uh, could come back into power, could harbor uh, terrorists and so forth there, but... uh, Won't that always be true for uh, tens, if not hundreds of years into the future at this point?
0: Well, it might be. Uh, It it depends. You know, movements have a life. And uh, this uh, wave we've seen of Muslim extremism is a phase in history. Uh, People sometimes forget that we've seen phases of extremism in other places, including Europe. Uh, that we don't have so much with us anymore. Uh, but uh, I think that for anybody in politics, the issue is not what would happen a long time from now. The issue is what would happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And what all that I was saying is that if you, if you did what Trump promised to do, which mm-hmm. was to just pull out stakes and get out of Afghanistan, let the ships fall where they may, one very likely uh, outcome would be, the Taliban taking over Kabul and, and then in the whole country. Mm-hmm. I would throw it into civil war, actually, because the Tajiks and the Hazara would never uh, willingly go back under Taliban rule. Uh, there were massacres in the old days. But, um, uh, and then if, if, if the extremists uh, went there for safe haven, the optics of all that, whether, whether it, in, in, it eventuated in a, an attack on the United States or not, would just be politically fatal i mean, I mean the, the American public doesn't pay attention to these things un, unless kind of the question is pitched in a big way, so they'd completely lost interest in Iraq by twenty fourteen and then when ISIL took over Mosul, all of a sudden that's all they wanted to talk about uh so you know for someone like myself, this is a roller coaster ride because I'm always <laughs> interested in what's going on in Iraq, but oh that the public is only sometimes and now the the interesting thing is that Isil is being rolled up and it's very near to being completely rolled up as a territorial state uh and and the public's not interested in that at all there, there's almost no reporting about you know the the campaigns in Mosul or Raqqa or uh or now in Afar. Mm-hmm. so the the, the 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 political danger here would be for a, a sitting president would be uh, Taliban taking over Kabul would be like ISIL taking over Mosul. It would be huge political news, and it would be very, very bad political news. It would make the incumbent look like an idiot.
1: Well, uh, uh, how oh, we'd hate that. Uh, how do you uh, uh, how do uh, with that in mind? How do we ever actually get out? I mean, there's always going to be an incumbent president. At this rate, it seems like this is a forever war that we're going to have to stay in. As a matter of fact, I was... uh uh, citing uh, Rand Paul, who I don't agree with on many things, uh, but he was talking about, you know, we've spent one trillion dollars in Afghanistan um, over the the past fifteen years, uh, money that could be better spent, perhaps here in the U.S. Or I'm I'm left to wonder, uh, Juan. Uh, uh, you know, w- w- instead of bombing uh, uh, Afghanistan for the last 15 years, what if we had spent a trillion dollars to uh, shore up the nation, to actually invested in Afghanistan? Would that have made any difference? Would that make any difference in how... Uh, the Taliban uh, see us I just I, I've just been continuously mystified you know when I hear the idea of well we can't make this a safe haven for terrorists they can meet the terrorists can meet elsewhere to plot their uh, their plots I, I, I'm just I, I'm just still confused about why the hell we're in Afghanistan and how the hell we ever get out and I I don't think I'm unlike uh, many Americans, and I do care about what's going on there in Afghanistan.
0: Oh, yeah, well, I know you do. Uh, I wasn't uh, saying that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying to wear two hats here, I suppose, and it's kind of difficult in the sense that I'm trying to give you information, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and and much of it I know you already know, but for the public. uh, But um, uh, if you're asking me a policy question is what should be done in Afghanistan, then sure, obviously, one of the problems that that uh, that we're facing there is that the government is very weak and also very corrupt. Uh, and the the corruption is a, a big deal, uh, and it's a big deal partly because the country uh, is ethnically diverse. So if you've got a pushtun governor who's stealing from you and you're a Tajik, you're going to be doubly mad. mm mm-hmm. Uh, and likewise, if you have a Tajik governor and uh, you're pushed to, and you're going to be doubly mad and and that turns into violence and the The governors are stealing because they're not paid properly, or there's not a reward system because the country's so poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so economic growth would be good uh, and would result in tax you know income and ability to pay troops and and so forth. Uh, and uh, so I think Afghanistan doesn't, Afghanistan doesn't get solved unless I- its economy improves tremendously. And, and, and,
1: and, yeah. and, well, and, and yet uh, Trump is saying we are out of the nation-building business. We will not be uh, nation-building in Afghanistan when, to me... Uh, if we do care about what what comes of that uh, of that nation, it's that kind of seems like one of the only ways out is, in fact, nation building and investing in in the country. I, the bombing hasn't worked for 15 years. I, am I wrong?
0: <laughs> no, the bombing hasn't worked. In fact, it's made things worse. And, and and Trump's current policy will make things worse because a lot of times they bomb the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Relatives get killed. Afghanistan is, uh, uh, you know, is a tribal society, uh, not in the, you know, orientalist or romantic sense, but it has a kind of kinship politics. Your cousins are important to you in Afghanistan. You will fight and die for them. You Mm -hmm. will take revenge for them. And if you're in trouble, they will lend you money. I often ask my my students in class, I said, you know, if your car broke down and you really needed a car to get to the university and you needed a car loan, how many of you could get $3,000 loan from your first, From many of your first cousins Mm -hmm. and you know out of a class of a hundred maybe five will raise their hands Mm -hmm. i said you guys have tribe. the rest of you don't know what i'm talking about (laughs) uh and and so when when the u.s kills people they're killing somebody's cousin and the cousins do have to kill you back so one of the things that happened when when bush went into afghanistan if he'd gotten back out afterwards and let the northern alliance try to make their own deals I think things would have been better but Rumsfeld wanted to encircle the Soviet the, the Russians and prevent the Soviet Union kind of thing from coming back so they uh they put in a lot of US troops and over time you know there's search and destroy missions and there's uh guerrilla actions and uh basically Rumsfeld's policy resulted in the Taliban coming back and and having a big feud with the United States and one of the Taliban's uh demands and remember that they are influential at least in at least a third of the country now uh some people say forty over forty percent one of their demands is that is that the u s has to be out of the country uh before they'll, they'll lay down their arms uh so yeah it it's uh the bombing doesn't doesn't isn't going to solve this no guerrilla war was ever won by intensive bombing
1: I think we're just going to uh just continue to continue there uh before I let you go uh professor Cole I want to get uh you you had uh Cited one important point, I thought, in your uh, in your piece today at Informed Comment. Uh, Afghanistan is desperately poor. It is one of the 25 poorest countries in the world. Despite the fake news sometimes put out from D.C. think tanks, it has virtually no natural resources of any value. I have heard for years, and we're hearing it again now with uh, Trump in office, that this is all about... The natural resources and taking over the, you know, the the, the mineral uh, rights in Afghanistan. You call it fake news. Is that just a, a, a myth that has been floated for all of these years, that there is all of this mineral wealth just waiting to be exploited in Afghanistan?
0: Yeah, it's a myth. I mean, it's not that there's no mineral wealth there. The Chinese were running a copper mine, but I think the security is too bad for them to do it now. There's a little bit of uranium. Uh, they make some nice lapis lazuli, uh, but it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't amount to you know anything serious. Uh, and not having resources is not fatal for a country. You know, Japan has no resources to mm-hmm. speak of, uh, and neither does Singapore. But both of them are rich. So if you don't have resources, the thing you have to do is to learn how to triangulate to bring resources from elsewhere and manufacture them into things that people want. But Afghanistan doesn't have a a skilled workforce, it doesn't have uh, industry uh, very much and it's uh, you know one of the least urbanized societies on earth. So it's not in a position to be a Japan or a uh, Singapore and until it learns how to make a living uh, given its lack of resources then it's going to be poor and poor countries are at risk of being failed states.
1: I'll point folks towards uh, informed comment today at JuanCole.com. Trump flip-flops on Afghanistan, ops for years-long quagmire. Explaining how, uh, well, in the end, uh, Juan says Trump just kicked the can down the road. It's a very long road, I- I'm afraid. So, we will be talking with Juan again. Uh, check out his work, as I say, at JuanCole.com. And follow him on the Twitter. Very good Twitter feed at jricole. J. R. I. Cole, uh, Professor, always great to speak to you again, and uh, we will not wait another ten years to do it in the future. Thanks so much, Brett. Thank you, Juan. Man, oh man!
2: Huh. Yeah, I know. That's uh, so. There, there essentially is no solution until uh, Afghanistan has an economy.
1: That's what it sounds like.
2: And uh, it's not going to have an economy um, because it doesn't have any resources—at least not an economy based on mm-hmm. extraction industries.
1: And bombing the crap out of them probably doesn't help their economy. Maybe that's just me. Maybe we
2: ought to, no, like I said. I think said, pretty much everybody can can be down with that uh, idea that, you know, if you bomb all of their institutions, if you bomb all of their infrastructure, they got nothing. Now what?
1: And that's where we are 15 years later. Some might say uh, 30 years, hundreds of years later uh, after, you know, continuing to fight over Afghanistan. That's where we are. Yeah. Uh, What a mess. Although I can say this, uh, after years of Trump saying, uh, we got to get out, we got to get out, our stupid leaders are keeping us in. I guess we have a new stupid leader in charge, don't we? Okay, more stupid leadership straight ahead with uh, Desi Toyin and the Green News Report coming up. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. The Bradcast survives thanks to you and your support. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to help us continue to do over your public airwaves what we try to do five days a week. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. I wish we could just stop the world at this point. Yeah, that join? would be
2: nice. Stop the world I want to get off. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the
1: broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, that music, of course, means the Green News Report is coming up very momentarily. Uh, but AP is reporting that uh, just off of his uh, speech on Afghanistan that uh, moved Donald Trump in a different direction than many of his core voters. And, in fact, the folks on the right are none too happy about Trump staying in uh, in Afghanistan, which uh, is fine by me. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, fresh off that speech, is highlighting his pledge to combat illegal immigration by heading to a Marine Corps base along the U.S.-Mexico border and uh, inspecting a Predator drone used to patrol the region. Trump also scheduled a nighttime rally in Phoenix on Tuesday night which left officials concerned that emotions may run hot among those inside and outside of the hall so soon after Trump blamed both sides for violence at a rally organized by white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia. The uh, two-day trip, AP notes, which also includes a stop in Reno, Nevada, on Wednesday... To speak to veterans at an American Legion conference marks his farthest journey west since taking office in January. Well, this jumps out at me because you know what, Des? There's a lot of World War II vets in the uh, in the American Legion that yes. may be at that speech. It'll be interesting to see how they react to Donald Trump following his moral equivalency between neo-Nazi protesters. And counter protesters in Charlottesville last week. I think a lot of those World War II vets uh, probably still don't care much for Nazis. Yeah, they might not take
2: kindly to that uh, false equivalency between that. that, that Yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah, we will see. So that'll be interesting to watch on Wednesday. Meantime, uh, administration officials briefing reporters on this trip to the base along the U.S. Mexico border near Yuma, Arizona said the area had seen a 46 percent drop in apprehensions of people attempting to illegally enter the U.S. between January 1 and July 31 of this year, compared to the same period in 2016. Though it's so they're suggesting that you know, because Donald Trump is in charge here now, the you know, people trying to come into this country is dropping off. None of the officials, however, would agree to be identified by name. And AP points out that in fact, immigrant traffic around Yuma has dramatically slowed over the past dozen years. They say once a hotbed for illegal immigration, the Border Patrol sector covering Yuma now ranks among the lowest in the Southwest for apprehensions and drug seizures. There were some 138,000 apprehensions in 2005, but that number had dropped to 14,000 by last year under President Obama. When, you know, Trump told us that Obama was terrible on the border and that, in fact, we have no borders. Uh, Trump, according to AP, is trying to shift the focus to his core campaign theme of getting tough on immigration after rankling some of his most loyal supporters with his decision announced on uh, Monday to maintain that U.S. military presence in Afghanistan. So a lot of interesting stuff to look at. Uh, this uh, speech on Tuesday night in Phoenix, None, neither of Arizona's two, sen- two U.S. senators are going to be showing up while he's in the state. None of them are going to be with him at all while he's in the state. Uh, Republican Senator Jeff Flake, Uh, A conservative has been a frequent target of Trump's wrath. The president tweeted last week, great to see that Dr. Kelly Ward is running against Flake, Jeff Flake. He called him Flake, Jeff Flake. That's his nickname, Uh, who is weak on borders, crime and a non-factor in the U.S. Senate. He's toxic. Flake has been on tour promoting his book that says the Republican Party's embrace of Trump has left conservatism withering. Uh, Ward. Uh, Kelly Ward uh, was planning to attend the Trump uh, the, uh, attend the Trump rally, suggesting that he might uh, d- d- uh, endorse her from the podium over an incumbent Republican senator, which is uh, damn near unprecedented. And of course, Arizona's other senator, John McCain, is undergoing treatment for um, for brain cancer. Trump has also been critical of McCain. For speaking out against a uh, against the Republican health care bill and Arizona's Republican governor, Doug Ducey, also says he does not want to uh, he's not going to attend the Phoenix rally either. So speaking of toxic, seems like we got one hell of a toxic president. Uh, and I haven't even got into this story that just broke in The New York Times about this feud Between Senator Mitch McConnell, Majority Leader, Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, who apparently have not spoken in weeks since they had a profane shouting match over the phone a few weeks ago. Incredible. All right. Anyway, let's get to it before it's too late. Our latest Green News report. Across the U.S. Midwest, farmers are blaming widespread crop damage to millions of acres of farmland on a new version of an old pesticide.
2: Monsanto pesticide, approved by Secret Process, is decimating crops. Trump disbands Federal Advisory Committee on Climate Change court lets exxon off the hook for arkansas pipeline spill that destroyed a neighborhood plus the national park service ends the ban on plastic disposable water bottles
1: because of course they do all of those stories and more straight ahead from brad i'm brad friedman
2: and i'm desi doyan stand
1: by for six minutes of independent green news politics analysis and snarky comment. Reuters examination has found that the crisis has its roots in weak regulatory oversight and corporate secrecy. Because they all do. This is your Green News Report.
2: Gonna soak up the sun.
1: Okay, Desi Doyen, there has been much talk about Donald Trump and his various business advisory groups disbanding. Well, now he has disbanded a climate advisory group, but they're not going away that easily.
2: (laughs) No, they are definitely not. Uh, Just days after President Donald Trump rescinded a federal requirement that infrastructure be built with sea level rise projections in mind, now the administration has disbanded a federal advisory committee on climate change that makes concrete recommendations for long term planning on a wide range of issues from building codes, to water infrastructure, to road projects, to even managing energy supplies.
1: So the people who would have told him, hey, it's a bad idea to not require federal infrastructure to be able to withstand flooding... Donald Trump just got rid of those people.
2: Yes, it was supposed to help communities plan ahead for the impacts of global warming. But in an interview with The Washington Post, the committee's chairman, University of Maryland geology professor Richard Moss, said the group intends to finish their report anyway, saying, quote, we're going to be running huge risks here and possibly end up hurting the next generation's economic prospects.
1: So good for them. They're not going away that
2: easy. No, they're not. Meanwhile, Midwest farmers have asked the EPA to investigate serious crop damage that the farmers say was caused by a new formulation of an old pesticide, dicamba, that drifted onto fields with crops unable to withstand it. An investigation by Reuters has now found that the manufacturer of dicamba, biochemical giant Monsanto, blocked independent testing during the approval process. Monsanto explicitly prohibited university researchers from testing the new formulation's tendency to vaporize and drift across to other fields. The Obama administration EPA approved it anyway, according to Reuters.
1: Monsanto provided its own study of the advanced weed-killing chemical to the EPA, which determined that based on the information it had, the product was safe to use. The EPA simply took Monsanto's word for it.
2: Yes, that's how pesticides pretty much get approved in the United States. And
1: that's how our federal government worked before Donald Trump came in to do away with the quote unquote regulators.
2: Also, the Trump National Park Service has ended a ban on the sale of plastic disposable water bottles in the nation's national parks after aggressive lobbying by the bottled water industry. The ban was instituted in 2011 after Park Service data showed discarded plastic bottles were the biggest source of litter in the nation's parks, killing animals that mistook the plastic pieces for food and straining the National Park Service's already inadequate budget to clean it up. Despite data showing that the ban reduced the burden and cost of plastic bottle pollution, the bottled water industry got the final say. They always do. In Arkansas, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has let ExxonMobil off the hook in the 2013 pipeline spill in Mayflower, Arkansas that ruined an entire residential neighborhood. The court overturned nearly all of a $2.5 million fine imposed by the U.S. Pipeline and Hazardous Material Safety Administration for failing to adequately monitor the 70-year-old pipeline. Exxon argued in court that the pipeline spill wasn't its fault because the regulations didn't specifically warn them that they needed to more closely monitor that type of old pipeline. The court agreed with Exxon. In other words, if you lobby to weaken regulations and then there's a problem, you can blame the weak regulations for not stopping. Wow. And a new report calculates that, overall, fines for polluters in general with the Trump administration have dropped 60 percent under its first six months. That's compared to the same period of time for previous presidents, according to a new report from the Environmental Integrity Project, an environmental watchdog nonprofit group.
1: Incredible. Game the regulators and then blame the regulators. They got you coming and going, don't they? They certainly do. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, and there are a lot of them check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com don't forget you can download our reports anytime via stitcher tune in or itunes find us follow us and share us worldwide on the facebooks and the twitters at green news report i'm brad friedman and
2: i'm desi Doyle. and
1: this has been your green news report play the game play the game play the game play the game They sure do know how to play it, don't they?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. To my guest today, Professor Juan Cole of Informed Comment at JuanCole.com. And to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at BradBlog.com. Drop me email if you like. Always happy to hear your thoughts. I'm BradCast at BradBlog.com. And you can find and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the TheBradBlog. My thanks also to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate, where you can become an active supporter of the Bradcast. bradblog.com slash donate. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.